Well, good morning, everybody. Once again, if you've just joined us, welcome to Genesis Gathering. I'm Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's great to have you with us. We are in a panel discussion, which means we have guests. They're not live here with me. They're going to be live on the live stream coming in through a sort of Zoom. And I want to introduce those individuals to you first. Wes um, Dunbar. One of the children called him Weasley. Weasley Dunbar. So anyway, uh, Wes is the pastor here at St. John's uh, Lutheran Church, and uh, he's in the lower right-hand corner there of your screen, depending on whether you're cross-eyed or not and how you see it. So anyway, uh, Wes felt the call to ministry four decades ago when he was in high school. He graduated from Fuller, uh, Fuller, Fuller Theological Seminary, <laughs> Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California in 1981. He was ordained in 1996, and he's pastored at least 10 different churches over the past 28 years. Then we have Ralph, who's in the uh, upper part of your screen there. He's a Gallup certified strengths coach, spiral dynamics practitioner, software architect, family father, even family patriarch in the good sense, long life learner, iconoclast, thinker and pastor in exile. Within the last several years, he has survived cancer, started a new career, deconstructed and reconstructed in his faith, and overcome several strokes of fate in his family. And he will gladly help you with any of those challenges or others as well. He's a wonderful mentor. John, who's uh, on my left, I believe your right as you're looking at the screen, was, uh, is an ordained minister for the past 35 years. He earned uh, his bachelor's in biblical studies as well as a master of divinity and a doctor of ministry in 1992 and went on to further study uh, both the Hebrew language and Hebraic spirituality through several diverse rabbinical scholars and that for over a decade. 35 years ago, he and his wife Karen founded Oasis of the Valley a transformational church located in Monrovia, California. It's great to have you panel with us this morning. Wes would have normally, and for the past three weeks, as the pastor here at St. John's has been right next to me on my side here, and uh, we've been live together uh, at the church here, but he left on vacation, of all people. I mean, come on. So uh, he'll be away for a couple weeks. You could smile, Wes. Hello, can you hear me? All right. So I, I don't know if Wes is hearing me or not. So uh, are any of you hearing me? Can, can John and Ralph hear me? So the two of them hear me fine. All right, so we'll get Wes all figured out here. How y'all's doing? <laughs> well, happy fourth. Happy great extended weekend. Hope you're going to do something wonderful and constructive and fun with your, your weekend. Uh, I'm looking forward to having the day tomorrow. You know what I'm not really looking forward to tomorrow evening is uh, all the fireworks. And, and I say that only because I love fireworks, but our dogs, we have two uh, Shisus, and they just go berserko. I mean, really, yeah, they're very, very sensitive to it. Interestingly enough, the boy dog, uh, who's a year older, even more so than the little girl. So uh, we're going to be home with them, caring for them. I was wondering if there was some place we could go, but you know, I don't know if it'd be any better to be in the car and fireworks going off somewhere as you're driving along. So I don't know. I think we will... Uh, I, I, I think we will just make it work. Uh, in my chat window, pastor's saying that he can't hear. Maybe that's been worked out now. Uh, pastor Wes, okay. But, okay. So, I don't know. Give me, what do you want me, to, is there anything you want me to do or to say? Oh, he's dialing back in? Okay. Well, I, I really want all of our uh, panelists uh, front and center. If we could go ahead and bring them up, please, in the view. And I want to talk to them. Hey, guys. So let me quickly explain for those of you that are watching via live stream and for anyone who um, um, uh, is here in the sanctuary that may not have heard this uh, little dialogue uh, between some of us as we were setting up this morning. So 
um, we have had an echo in the audio on these panel discussions, which it's taken us a long time to try to uh, uh, ferret out. And so we believe that we have that resolved, but in resolving that, we couldn't also have all four of us present on camera at the same time. So when I'm speaking, I will be soloed into the view that you have uh, on the, um, uh, in the live stream anyway. And then when the panel is speaking, they will come up and they will be in the live stream. I think in the sanctuary here, um, you will have them on the screen at all times and, and uh, me live. So, uh, John, if, if I could so impose, um, would you introduce me, please? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I thought about this earlier, Actually, and uh, I, I just, you know, I, I decided, course, well... Of course, may, this is last minute, right? Pr probably a friend w would be good, you know, if I'm going to have somebody <laughs> introduce me, ask a friend. <clears throat> And then we haven't sent him any money yet for his participation in the panel discussion, so, you know, he wouldn't say anything, you know, that would jeopardize that, so. My Lord. It's just the way my work. mind so, thinks, guys. Some, some, um, yeah, <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to introduce to you a friend of mine. His name is Jeff Corson. <laughs> All kidding aside, uh, Jeff and Nina and myself and Karen go back, gosh, almost 30 years, I think now. Um, uh, Jeff is not as cute as he used to be. Nina's is fine, <laughs> but you know, hey, that's age. <laughs> anyway, all kidding aside, uh, Jeff and Nina have been pastoring for, it's gotta be over 30 years now. Is that right, guys? Yeah, over 40, actually. Um. Yeah, okay, so, and, um, We've, we knew one another for a season and then, you know, life begins to happen. So you kind of go in different directions. And then all of a sudden, uh, about probably 15 years ago now, we reconnected mm -hmm. and it's been wonderful. Pastor Jeff um, has uh, been an avid studier and reader of Christianity, not just the Bible, but the historical view, all those things. And uh, he brings a, a wonderful um, apostolic pastoral message uh, regarding uh, what God is saying and doing, and I think right up to the cutting edge right now. He's definitely uh, right there with what's happening. Um, in that light, I would like to officially introduce to you my good friend, Jeff Corson. And Nina, I don't think you'll be on camera just yet, but love you as well. And, uh, you know, Nina in her own right uh, is also a prophet, and she... Um, over the last couple of uh, years in the discussions we've had, her prophetic grace has really um, been manifesting through the very things she's lived and her word has been quite accurate as a result. So mm. I'll introduce both of them to you, but right now Jeff is gonna take the mic and lead this session number four yes. as we explore yes. the Bible. Thank you, dear brother. Well, so again, number four, this is the last one in our series, and the series is entitled How to Read and Understand the Bible. Um, my topic today is built upon two statements. First of all, that the Bible is the Bible and not the, quote, Word of God. And then secondly, something that I heard Andy Stanley say at one point, which was, that the Bible is not the foundation of our faith. We're going to explore those two difficult statements uh, today, and uh, I believe that you're going to enjoy that. Let's dive in. When, when I say and make the statement, the Bible is the Bible and not the Word of God, I want to start with this in supporting that. It's a collection of 66 books. You understand that. The, the Bible is not a book, all right? Um, it's not a holy book. It is a collection. It's actually more of a library of 66 books. Some of them are meditations, some prose, some psalms, history, some poems, Jewish laws, and they were never intended to be leather-bound into a book of law code and behavior modification. 
this is not a constitution that we are reading called the Bible. It's rather a wonderful narrative of God's intense desire to restore and heal mankind into a divine dance called perichoresis, which means a divine oneness. I submit to you that Jesus alone is the Word of God. We're told that in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Here's an example from the English Standard Version. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Here's the mirror translation of that. To go back to the very beginning is to find the Word already present there, face to face with God. The one mirrors the other. The Word is I am. God's eloquence echoes and concludes in Him. The Word equals God. The beginning mirrors the Word face to face. So the Word was at the beginning, and all creation comes through Him. Now think about this. The Word became human. God became human, and He was called Jesus. So another word is the Greek word, logos, the expression of God. Sometimes referred to the written expression of God. Here's, once again, the Mirror Translation's version of 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The logos is the source. Everything commences in him. The initial reports concerning him that have reached our ears and which we indeed bore witness to with our own eyes, to that point that we become irresistibly attracted to, now cap captivates our grace. In him we witness tangible life in its most articulate form. The same life that was face to face with the Father from the beginning has now dawned on us. I love that. The infinite life of the Father became visible before our very eyes. You know, so when I think about referring to the Bible, this library of books, of poems and history and writings, as the Word of God, it's almost as if we're saying Father, Son, and Holy Bible. That's certainly the way I treated my Bible all while I was growing up, while I was in Bible school, Bible college, and for most of my adult life as a minister. It is very important that we realize what the Bible is. When we talk about a collection of books, it is primarily Jewish meditation literature. And in particular, the prose of Scripture, the written part of Scripture out of all of that, not just sayings, is meant to actually cause you to question what you are reading. This approach that we have shared over these four weeks with you is designed to set you free from having to be right. God doesn't leave it up to you to have to believe everything the right way, which was never the design or the inspiration of Scripture. Scripture has to breathe. It's like good art. It's not about being right or having the right interpretation. There's a meaningful interpretation to your life which is meant to draw you into curiosity to search out the Father's love for you, to be enraptured by His grace and His goodness. That's the design of these writings. Let's consider just the word meditation for a moment. A collection of books, Jewish meditation literature written in different styles, narrative, a collection of books that follow the same narrative, poetry, prose, the prophetic, song, history, all weaving into it a story that's going to draw you into fellowship with the creator of the universe. And each time we read the Bible, we have to understand the period and the culture that it was produced in, the unique, the unique kind of literature that it is. 
To read and understand the Bible, we have to remember what part of the world that it originated from, as well as the type of literature that it is. And what is it? Jewish meditation and Hebraic mystical literature. That's what it is. Don't make it something else. Now, all four of the individuals in this panel that have been introduced to you over these four weeks and have spoken, every one of them believes that the Bible is absolutely inspired and given to us by God. But how we interpret it, how we relate to it, how we view it, whether we see it as a constitution that drives moral behavior, makes all the difference in the world. So when I talk about Hebraic mystical literature and Jewish meditation, for instance, you'll notice that as you do read the stories in the Bible, there's a tremendous lack of details that we find in most of our literature. A great lack of details. And, and, and these Bible stories that we read are filled with ambiguity. And this often leads to a great disparity in the interpretation. But God doesn't get upset with that. He's okay with different interpretations of the story. And the reason why is because there's not one right interpretation. It's not about having right doctrine. It's about having a relationship with the Father and the Creator and through this inspired literature coming to Him, knowing who He is and experiencing Him in a very deep way. I mentioned that the Bible stories are loaded with ambiguity. Let's take this one here. I'll show you. This is an illustration of ambiguity regarding just the initial Genesis story of Adam and Eve and the serpent. Look at all the ambiguity, and let's enlarge that, please. We have a minus of a lot of different facts that you and I would ask in literature. What is this book of Genesis? Wait, so who was Cain's wife? Did Adam really have a belly button? Did they really die on the spot, or why didn't they die on the spot? Was Eden in Mesopotamia? What if they hadn't taken the fruit? <laughs> and was that fruit apples? Was it pomegranates? Pomegranates was it figs? Also, uh, why when, where did this talking snake come from? Did Eve really have babies? Did she only have two? Did she stop there or were there others? Were they vegetarians? Because back then, of course, right, it all started good and in a garden they didn't kill things did the snake have legs do you see all these details that one could ask but they're not spelled out for us in this story this is intentional dear ones and it's the intentional risk that god himself built into scripture they become invitations to us into an adventure of discovery this actually forces us to keep reading. Bible stories are not designed by God to be understood all at once and applied as doctrine. We need to breathe. We need to read intentionally and walk through the Scripture with interactive discovery, a process known as the narrative of the Bible, having the Bible narrative revealed to us. And it takes a lifetime of reading, a lifetime of being transformed by it. Even the word meditate. Do you realize that, in fact, the definition of meditation that we find in the Scripture isn't to go mindless, empty your brain and, you know, make a noise. It's rather means this, to mutter. This is the actual Hebrew meaning of the word meditate. To mutter to yourself over and over, as in low indistinct sounds as from afar off. So in other words, we're to consider Scripture. Be talking it and repeating it and quoting it and saying it to ourselves. Carefully, intentionally, intentionally but with imagination. Oh my goodness. Are, are there any other stories as great as many of the ones we find in the Bible to spark your imagination with? What in the world could God possibly be trying to communicate to me through a story like Adam and Eve and a talking serpent? 
Listen to this, Psalm chapter one and verse two. He whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, Joshua chapter one, verse eight. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to observe all that is written in it. Keep it on your lips. I was in a meeting south of downtown here. There were probably about 60 different pastors and ministers. Nina was with me. I think Barb Cameron was with me. And on the stage was Andy Stanley. Now, for those of you who don't know Andy Stanley, He's from the South. He's from a very conservative church in the Bible Belt. His father of all people is Charles Stanley. And we're in this meeting, and we're sitting there listening to a presentation from him, and he makes this statement. Watch, listen. The Bible is not the foundation of your faith. I about fell off my chair, especially given who was saying it. And he paused just like I'm going to do. The Bible is not the foundation of your faith. An event is. And that just blew up in me. That I don't have to take the Bible literally word for word every piece and be concerned with whether I have it all right whether my interpretation is correct. Andy Stanley, of all people, says that the Bible isn't even the foundation of our faith. What is? Right here, look. Jesus died. He lived. He demonstrated the kingdom, and then he went to a cross, and he died, arms outstretched, and then he rose again. And do you know all of that happened independently of there even being a Bible? Come on, folks. Can you at least acknowledge with me there was no Bible when that happened? There was what we call and refer to as the Old Testament, the things that I've referred to it as. But the Jews didn't, con they didn't have chapter and verse. There were no numbers. There were no verses. It wasn't broken up with nice, neat little headings. It was on scrolls in the temple. People didn't have a Bible. They went to the temple to have the priest unroll a scroll and read from it. There was no Bible. And that is the very setting in which Jesus died. And for the first three to 400 years of being a Christian and follow, a Christ follower. There was no Bible. How in the world do you follow Jesus and love Jesus and know Jesus and there's no Bible? I'm preaching, aren't I? I was supposed to just talk. About nine, ten years ago, uh, I was introduced to a book by the by an author named Greg Boyd called Repenting from Religion. Andy Stanley's comment about the Bible not being the foundation of my faith and this book, Repenting from Religion, blew up my world. And I started deconstructing. And one of the things I had to come to grip with was that all scripture is not equal and Jesus makes that fact true when he points out in his comment over and over and over when he was teaching, you have heard it said, but I say to you. What was he doing? Listen now. Listen. When Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's referring to the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures of meditation, literature, You've heard it said, but I say to you, in other words, what I'm going to teach you supersedes what came before. That right there tells you that everything in the Bible isn't equal. You know what? <laughs> I just so want you to tune in. 
I'm going to play a video for you. Now, if, you, if, you're, if you're distracted at all, you're not going to pick up the words because uh, the speaker is a little, he has an English accent, and he's talking to his son. And, and they're going out for breakfast, okay? And I want you to watch and listen to the dialogue between this individual and the waitress specifically now. You ready? Don't be doing something else. If you're doing something else, stop what you're doing, please. Watch this video because it portrays the very thing you and I are up against when we take the Bible as a constitution. We treat everything in it as though it has to be literal and we turn it into law instead of the free-form flow of God and the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Hungry? Yeah. Should we go to the cafe? Yeah. Yeah. Come on in. You got any money? No. Loser. <clears throat> What'd you fancy? Mm, fish fingers and beans. Good choice. I'll have that. What can I get for you? Um, we're both having the fish fingers and beans, please. Uh, that's only on the children's menu, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm not very angry. I can't let you order that. What do you mean? It's for children. But I can eat what children eat, can't I? Yeah, but it's only four ninety nine. Yeah, I know, because it's a smaller portion. I'm paying child's prices, but I'm getting a children's portion. Yeah, but we made it cheaper because it's for kids. I know because they're smaller, and it's smaller because they're smaller. It's not a concession, it's not because they're unemployed, is it? And also, an adult's paying, so... It's the rules. Is it? Hmm. Right. Well, he'll have fish, fingers and beans twice. No, but you're just going to eat one of them, aren't you? No. So what are you ordering, then? As I say, I'm not very hungry, so I'll just get a coffee. Both of those for him, are they? That good? Mm. Now, let me tell you who the waitress represents. Religion. Legalism. The view of Scripture that it's a constitution, I have to understand it, I have to know it, and I have to have the right interpretation. And I just love Ricky Gervais's portrayal of somebody who says, can't I just order outside of the boundaries I'm at breakfast with my son. No, it's the rules, the waitress says. Did you hear that? Did you notice that? That's what she said. It's the rules. When he said, well, why? It's the rules. You know, that's how people approach their faith. Why? They don't know why. It's the rules. And then I love every time, any time you Follow the Bible as a book of rules, a constitution. You know what it does inside of you? It makes you want to grab the very things you're not supposed to do and take a handful of them and shove them in your mouth. Whatever it is you're trying to stop doing or not do, you will want to do it 20 times more when you let the Bible be a book of legalistic rules. I'll close with this scripture. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. John said, I am writing this to complete your joy. <laughs> I have never been happier, more filled with the Spirit, enjoying my Christianity more, closer to God, and more in love with Jesus, and a better witness for him, influencing more people to consider Christ than I am now after deconstructing from the fact that the Bible is not the Word of God. It is the Bible. And secondly, it is not the foundation of our faith. All right, here we go. We're going to throw this thing open for questions. 
And uh, you're welcome to submit them here in the congregation using your form or on the live stream. You can type it into the chat. We'll be monitoring it. Or you can text to 720-878-3323. Go ahead. Chat with us right now. Your questions about what you've heard today, specifically, or anything else from the series. All right, gentlemen, we're bringing you on screen here. I will remain in the sanctuary, and I have a first question. For those of us in a fog, this individual writes in, not knowing what to believe or not believe, what can you share with us that will give us peace in not knowing for sure or for certain? I, I, I wonder for the individual asking this if perhaps I've answered that. Uh, are there any of the others that would care to speak? Well, I would say that uh, entrusting the relationship with God and uh, really believing that God wants this relationship even more than we do, otherwise he wouldn't have created us in the first place. We can let go of that fear. We don't have to measure up to anything. And uh, when God wants us to understand, he will reach out to us and have us understand. So going through the fog, we can trust God leading us in that fog and giving us the glimpses that we are ready to, to see and uh, that he is ready to show us. But he is the initiator, the driving force, and all of that within that relationship. So I would just trust. Awesome. Any other questions? So, guys, where are you going for lunch? <laughs> well, for me, <laughs> after I'm, I'm done with you guys, I got to go to church at the Oasis and preach. That's right. But, so you're, uh, you're like maybe, it's an hour different in California. Go ahead. So let's see. It's uh, right. 11.14 our time. It's 10.14. What time does church start there for you, John? Uh, about an hour and a, about an hour. Well, for me, an hour and 15. About an hour uh, and 15. Churches would already start, but I don't have to take the pulpit for about another hour and 15. I see. Okay. You'll but, be you taking... Know, in, in, in light of Ralph's comment and the question, <clears throat> I would like to suggest this. <clears throat> the place that the living word, the living Christ, gets crucified is in the place of the skull. And... Our desire to know is maybe not the key answer because in the second we know, sometimes we have the propensity to crucify and stop the dialogue. Uh, Ralph used the idea of, uh, he said it was a relationship. Um, mm. I love the statement that Pastor Jeff made when he said, um, you, uh, the God's kind of, God, God has rigged this basically that you don't have to, he's trying to free us from having to be right. And let's be honest, being free from being right also means probably the undercurrent, the need to be right and to know is the total fear of being wrong. Uh, with that in mind, in light of the trees, the Genesis story, I would just like to say that if what we know crucifies the Christ in the sense that it can potentially stop the dialogue, it's not so much about what you know, but what you emanate. And, we, and in the concept of emanating is the fact that the living Christ is always present and emanating through you. It's that 
discovery mm. of an inner discussion here, not necessarily a knowing here. I think the key is if we let this lead, this will follow, as opposed to trying to let this lead, which will, which will crucify and put the Christ in the grave, if you're metaphorically speaking, in our hearts. Wow. Let me say something here about our brain, which is an, an, an awkward place to go at the moment. But when we look at the place where Jesus was crucified, he had another hanging to his right and to his left. And uh, we have two brain hemispheres. And our left brain hemisphere wants to know, has a map of everything, has a, um, um, an can explain everything or wants to explain everything is very detail oriented and wants everything to be right or wrong while our right brain hemisphere has much more of a bigger picture uh is much more in contact with the creative with the spiritual with but it doesn't have language and i always see those two people to the left and the right of jesus as depiction of our two brain halves one really is mocking christ because he didn't come the way that uh, the map was predicting it uh, he didn't that uh, this guy didn't accept christ and on the other hand we have a guy that sees the bigger picture he wants a relationship with that man in the middle there he doesn't care uh, he doesn't care what the crowd says. He doesn't care what they say about him or anything like that. He just wants a relationship with that Christ. And I think this is what happens. Our, our brain that wants to understand of the, the left side, that wants detail, that wants to manipulate things in the real world, that wants to grab things and grasp things, comes into way and on the other hand our right side of the brain that asks questions sees bigger pictures sometimes doesn't have words for things and experiences sometimes that fog really uh, is the one that, that uh, is much more in contact with the christ and we're at the moment a very left brain oriented uh, society and we have to somehow get in contact again with our right brain, which is the trusting, which is, is the one that has uh, the big view and asks the questions. That's good. Uh, while really good. Ralph was speaking, the thing that struck uh, my mind was we read in the Old Testament, even in the New, we, we hear this phrase, and the law, the law of God, etc. But what's interesting is the Hebrew word for law is Torah in most of the contexts. And Torah doesn't mean the rules. Torah comes from the word yira, which means a flow of water. So the ambiguity is actually the fog that you're in, whoever asked the question, maybe the best place you can be. I wonder if we have any questions here in the congregation. Anybody writing? Anybody? If you don't mind, in the meantime, I have uh, some remark to what you were saying. Uh, when we make a difference between the Bible and the Word of God, we actually differentiate us from Islam and Mormonism because their Word of God fell from heaven. So uh, their books were found on, on plates or, or uh, the, uh, the, the book of the Islam was, was actually falling from heaven, in, uh, as uh, Muhammad said. So theirs is in stone and it's written and it, it's immovable and there's no space for any growth or anything or any different. While the Bible actually is a, a living word, it contains parts of the word of God and it's a living book and, and it itself says that we have to read it through the spirit and interpret through the spirit. And another one, I think that when we read prose, 
in theology we often hear well the prose is the factual the reporting the journalistic this must be true but i think you made a one made a wonderful comment there that actually the prose in hebrew is the meditative uh understanding the the mothering over and the mulling over uh what what i understand in my relationship with god Thank you, Ralph. Really good. I have a question. It's been submitted online. How do we share this message with those who are not as strong or understanding in their faith or even new believers to understand that the Bible is a key and not give them a way to push it aside? Well, I'll speak to that first and invite the others to join in. First of all, keep in mind that it's essential that you continue to have a very high view of Scripture. Nothing in any of these four weeks has asked you to dumb down your view of the inspiration of Scripture. We just don't believe it was dictated into the ear of the scribes and the prophets and the writers by God and of course then you have the issue of all the different types of Jewish meditation that it has and Hebraic mysticism poems and history and the prophetic and so on and so forth I would say in answer to this that what's most important is not even to steer people to trying to understand the Bible. You steer them to Jesus. You talk to them all about Jesus, and then Jesus reveals the Scripture. I take that from the passage of Scripture in the New Testament after Jesus rose from the dead. He was walking on a road. Actually, two men were walking talking back and forth about all that had just happened in Jerusalem. And as they were walking, Jesus suddenly appeared to them. It's called the story of the two men on the road to Emmaus. And as you read that account, what's interesting about it is this. It says that after they talked for a while, and it was clear they were very confused about Scripture, it says that Jesus, starting with Moses and the prophets, explained the scripture to them. See, that's something that Jesus does in concert with the Holy Spirit. But at no time do we take a collection of 66 books, which again, they didn't even have back then. There was no Bible. Jesus didn't say, okay, get your Bibles out, guys. I want you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Get your Bible out, guys. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy, chapter 3. You understand that didn't exist for hundreds of years, and people were excited about Jesus, about going to church, about singing, about living for God. Their lives were being transformed. They were being transformational in the community. In fact, we read in the book of Acts how that thousands kept daily coming to Christ and giving their lives to Jesus, and they had no Bible. Quit putting confidence in the almighty, holy, quote, Bible and shift that and put it in Jesus. And, and so don't start the discussion with the Bible. Start the discussion with Jesus and helping people understand his love, his character, his nature, how much he, he's full of grace, he, he accepts them, Start with how that God's not demanding that they change their behavior and start going to church. He accepts them exactly as they are. Start there. And then let the Holy Spirit and Jesus do the work of drawing them into the discovery of Scripture, the narrative, the discourse, the curiosity of scripture oh I just love this oh how I wish I had started this way 45 years ago when I was but a teenager oh John Ralph I would say there are two questions in one in this uh, 
question. Uh, with new believers, I absolutely agree with, with all that uh, Jeff just said. Now, with those who are not as strong or understanding in their faith, it's probably different because they already have a construct of their faith. They already have something they think is true, right, or whatever. And there, I would say, just plant seeds very carefully, small seeds, because it took a while for us uh, to deconstruct our faith. It, 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 after those Good four point. panels, you won't have broken through all uh, through what we're telling you and all that. It's, really it's planting seeds and asking questions, um, being with them and and uh, accompany them and all that. It's it's a slow work of first deconstructing some of the barriers they have because they're still afraid of losing their place in heaven uh, or or their salvation. And that's a very, very strong stronghold. Yeah. Cannot be torn down in a day. But yes, do it differently with new believers. Never even allow that stronghold to be built in the first place. Good point. I hope that helps for the individual that asked the question. Anybody else, go ahead and submit your question through the chat or you can text us at 720-878-3323. Here in the congregation, you can write it out on your form that you were handed or text it, 720-878-3323. If after a moment there aren't any other questions, then we'll go ahead and move to our time of prayer and... couple of closing announcements. The child this morning there reminds me of something in first service that we experienced. I just love this. It was so cute. And then it, that caused me to think about the scripture that talks about how uh, we need to become as children. But we were in first service and uh, they were repeating the Lord's Prayer our Father who art in heaven. And as soon as they started, and they were saying it, uh, praying it as a congregation, there was a little girl up here. She couldn't have been older than three. And she started praying the Lord's Prayer, but she didn't know the words. I mean, she couldn't form the words, say the words, you know, our Father who art in heaven. So she was just, you know, saying them, but she was saying them in the cadence of the prayer. So you knew she was praying the prayer, but she wasn't forming the same words. It was so cute because you know what? The father accepts that. And I, I dare say that if you are 60 years of age and you do not know how to pray, there should be no shame, no embarrassment, no feeling like, oh, I, I wish I were better with that. I wish I had learned that. I need to read my Bible more. No, just mutter. Just say it as a matter of joy out your heart to the father and let him translate it. Any other questions? All right, then I will yield to any closing comment from John and Ralph before we sign off. Um, we lost uh, and weren't able to get back Wes, um, I'm so disappointed that he wasn't able to join us. He has contributed so well every time, always had tremendous thoughts. So, um, but uh, Wes, you're watching maybe by live stream right now, though we couldn't get you in. Lord bless you, have a tremendous vacation, my brother. Uh, and, and may you, first service just went so well. Uh, the service here at St. John's that you normally process and guide it just it went it was so great and uh, so your guest speaker by the way oh lord they had a guest speaker for St. John's she just did a fabulous job wonderful choice and thank you for allowing us to be a part of your life and to share your facility here with you all right John Ralph any closing thought Well, 
I would say that I offer to anybody that listens to to that, uh, even through uh, later through the recordings, if they have any questions uh, to connect me. And uh, I, I would say connect Jeff. He has my data and uh, I'm happy to help anybody that wants to, uh, to work on his own stronghold or get uh, deeper into those questions at any time. Um, for me, first of all, I want to thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of this, Jeff and Nina, for the last four weeks. It's been enriching to have a discussion. <clears throat> um, it, it's great to preach. Love doing that. Love teaching. But uh, it's great to interact and have discussion. It only sparks more thoughts and more yes. ideas about God, etc. It's just wonderful. Uh, the other thing I think is probably the most important is that uh, the child that called Wesley Weasley was my 35-year-old daughter. But that's another story. <laughs> um, but th thank you uh -huh. so much, uh, Jeff and Nina, for uh, uh, allowing us to be part of this. Uh, it's definitely enriched my four weeks. I hope we get to do something like this again in some way. Uh, it was really spectacular. Thanks for allowing us to be a part of it. Amen. We plan to do this on a regular basis, as a matter of fact. So uh, we will be in touch and uh, have more of these. I think it's a wonderful format that really helps people relate uh, to their faith and to our Heavenly Father and um, sets them free. So thank you guys so very, very much. Nina is going to come, and just as she's coming, I'm going to pray a prayer now with all of us, and if you would, uh, we will have the prayer on the screen for you. All right, everybody. Let's pray together. Lord, place us in the text of Scripture rather than the certainty of a constitution. Open our eyes to see the conversation, the story, the predicament, the spirit, and the incredible community of people who keep bumping into the living God. May we be a people who, even in the midst of experiencing setbacks, disappointment, and messiness, are best of all people who are growing in trust of Jesus and one another. Cause us to see what you see to feel what you feel about your church. Increase our faith that we can be part of making a difference, even sharing anew.